Hi Onyx fam, welcome to the Onyx Life where change comes with challenge. My name is Merthel. And I'm Rita. Every episode we take you on a journey moving you from the struggle life to the Onyx Life, creating happy homes and financial empires. Today we're going to talk about the secret to our success. So today we are going to take you behind a secret door in our home and into a private room that holds the secret to our success. And it's, um, it's a very special room to us. And it's a very special place in our home. I would say it is probably the most important place in our home. And we're going to take you behind those closed doors and give you sort of a glimpse of where the secret to the Onyx life success, where it originates from, where where it's the foundation of this home, the foundation for this happy home and the foundation for our financial empire that is being built. I wanna start off by uh, telling you a story. It's a story that actually inspired us when we read it and it allowed us to give us sort of like a blueprint or, or just inspiration for our lives. And it starts off by talking about a widow, a widow whose husband passed away. And this person was a man of God and he worked, if we were to contextualize it to today's language, he worked within the church. And when he died, it left his wife and his two sons in dire straits. And she, one day it says, um, the way the story goes is that she cried out to his employer, who was also another man of God. And she said, you know, my husband, he served you very well. And now he's passed away. And he had a strong, strong relationship with the Lord. But now he's dead. And the creditors are calling my home and they're hounding down my house and they're knocking on the door threatening to take away our home, threatening to dissolve everything that we have, and even threatening to take away my sons. And I just don't know what to do. And she was just in absolute dire straits. And that's how the story kind of begins. Horrible situation. And um, I'm sure that when you hear just even just the opening part of this story, just if you can just imagine, I, I, I can identify with that. I remember... You know, even if you are a Christian, um, you know, no matter where you are in life and, and you know, what your faith is, um, I think we can all identify um, to some degree experiencing some type of loss. And in her case, she not only experienced a loss of her husband, but that loss was leading to a greater loss that she was about to experience where she was about to lose everything. You could come from a divorced family and in a situation like that, you could you know exactly what that means. Divorce oft, oftentimes comes with uh, not just the loss of the marriage and the loss of the relationship, but then all sorts of other challenges come out of that. Uh, it could be a loss of a job or a loss of health. Um, the primary breadwinner uh, loses their health, and the next thing you know, you find yourself in this dire strait. And so we're hoping that this podcast can begin to uh, give you a sense of what steps you can take, some pointers that can inspire you. Um, it could even be um, a loss that you experience even in early childhood, some type of abuse or some type of rape or something that kind of shuts you down and you just don't know how to move on. And that's that's where this woman was at. She she was in a crisis mode. You, you know what I'm talking about, hun? Mm-hmm. Have you ever been in that situation before? We've all, I don't know anybody who hasn't gone through some sort of loss. Right. And if you don't if you don't find a way to get through this painful situation, to get through, to process it, um, you can get stuck. You can get stuck for a very long time and you could end up losing more than you've even initially lost. And that was a fear of this lady. She was she was in a dire strait. She was going to lose everything. And um, and so the first point that we kind of learn from this story before you take before we introduce you to our room and to the secret place that where we have found in our lives that 
has been the secret to our success. I just want to identify with where you're at right now. I, you know, even with the, when I, when I heard the story and when I read the story, even just talking, just hearing her talk about how the creditors are calling. <laughs> Remember when the credit creditors would be calling us and just hounding us. Well, I remember they were so threatening and so aggressive that I was in tears. My stomach would be hurting every time my phone would ring. I mean, it was no way to live. When you can't even hear your phone ring without you know your stomach clenching and breaking out into a possible sweat. And the thing is, I don't even know why I felt that afraid i think it was because i believed a lot of their lies right right right. (laughs) it wasn't so much that i didn't owe the money i mean i knew i owed the money but it was the aggressiveness we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that and we're gonna call this person and we're gonna sue you for this and it was just like oh my goodness and then one day i said you know what i'm gonna record you and he said no you can't do that and i said no i can i'm gonna record you right now and man, <laughs> the threat stopped. In fact, he stopped calling that one person that I remember the most. Right. And I just had to laugh like, what? That's all I had to do this whole time? But I, I remember I used to tell you, I don't think these people really, they have a lot of bark, but they don't have bite. I don't, I don't think they're able to, you know, back up what they're saying. Right. It's all, it's all tactics and intimidation to get you to pay that bill. Do it now. Right. And they oftentimes will get a male to come on if the female doesn't work. And some Mm -hmm. of those females are very vicious, but they'll get the male to come on. And then it's always some guy with a deep voice, you know, like just intimidating. Right. Like, hello, is this Mrs. Mitchell? (laughs) We're calling on behalf of, you know, and they're just like really intimidating and telling you, well, they, they, they escalated it with us and they started calling my employment. Right. Now that Um, was another situation where I was scared because now we not only had to worry about calls from them. Now we were worried about calls from your work. Right. So now when we, when we saw them, that number calling, it was like, oh Oh, no, no. what happened so they're calling my church they're calling your church they're They're calling calling the the conference the the central the central place where Mm -hmm. where that hires administration right and so they're calling me and they're saying you know get um, it together get it together like you know you can't have this this situation yeah you have to be an example to your congregation and so it was it was really challenging because it's embarrassing right and and it's just like like in the story and that's the reason why i could identify with this story because it allowed me to really get a sense of what it feels like or what it felt like for this lady to be in a situation where you've lost it all and you're about to lose everything else. She was in grief. She was in panic. Mm -hmm. She was in like in desperation, hopelessness, all things that I have felt at one time or another with different situations that have come up. I mean, you know, she had lost her husband. Mm hmm. And I think about so many people who have lost their spouses, you know, at all ages. You've had your mother mm-hmm. who've lost her husband, and that was when he was 60. Mm-hmm. You fairly, know, fairly young. But we also have, you know, your brother in law who lost his wife, his my, wife, my, your my sister. sister. Mm-hmm. You know, and she's only in her 40s. Right. And it's just like the grief. Right then it's compounded by financial right financial loss it's not that every it's not like either of these situations or or for you guys out there who have lost someone it's not that you want to think of money but it's just that along with the loss of the person especially when you're in the working time mm-hmm. is that loss of finances and right. then all the things that go along with that it's a very very scary time any kind of loss and and, and i you know in this particular situation it is death But I hear that divorce is just as bad. Well, yeah, I've heard it's worse. It's like ripping. I always like that analogy that people put. It's like if you um, glue two pieces of paper together and Mm -hmm. let that glue dry and then you try ripping apart that paper, Mm. just the fragments that it leaves. It's 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 very devastating. Right. And so um, I perhaps you will you'll gain something from this story and the story of this lady, because um, it's such a powerful story and it really, it really helped us. And 
the first thing that it did and the first point that we gained from this story is, is that it reminded us that we have to process our pain. We can't just simply go through life, go through traumatic experiences, go through um, abuses or losses and think that it's not going to it's not going to affect us. Right. I think as a child, you don't really absorb things. And then as you get older, it's like all of a sudden the weight of the world comes on your shoulders like, oh, my goodness. Take, for example, me. I was not raised by my parents. I was raised by my grandparents, like I've said before countless times. And um, before anybody knew, I was raised by my grandparents, who I call my mom and, and dad. Um, they were on my father's side. And all through my childhood, I felt lost. But I didn't feel it all the time, but it was at certain moments. So like Mother's Day, everyone had, well, most of my friends had their mothers. And I mean, Father's Day, that's one thing. A lot of people didn't have their fathers, unfortunately. But Mother's Day. In our Day, community. Yeah. In our community. But Mother's Day, like you were really the odd one out when you didn't even have your mother. And... It was always a weird feeling because it's like, oh, we're going to do this for Mother's Day. We're going to do that for Mother's Day. And while I call my grandmother mom and she is my mom, I would give her a card and it would be great. We would always go to brunch. And at that brunch, it would be my grandmother and her, you know, my grandfather and then all her kids, which included my dad and his wife and then my my aunts and their husband and my uncle and his wife. And then at the end of the brunch, we would all take a family portrait. And it was always awkward for me because I never knew where should I stand because everyone stood in their family groups. Do I stand by my grandparents? Do I stand by my dad and my stepmother who I really didn't talk to? No, no one, not that we had anything wrong per se, but we just never talked. So it was very awkward. And so as I got older, I felt the loss so keenly that when I got pregnant, um, after I got married and I got pregnant with my first child, I started having dreams that I was going to have a little girl who looked just like me and she was going to start calling me by my first name and start calling my mom or my husband's mom, mom. And I would like panic and I would feel so deeply sad. Right. And I knew it was me now processing that pain of not being raised by my parents. And the interesting thing about that is, is that as a child, you don't sit down and think about these things. But as you notice, you said, as you had your first child, you were confronted with the loss of your childhood. And now you had to begin to face some things as you got married. And you had to now, you know, take a look at your relationship with your father who is to walk you down the aisle and to be present and to be a part of that experience in a very special way, you're now confronted with the loss. Well, that was a whole nother story, you know, um, at my wedding, because I was not close to my dad at all. He walked me down the aisle, but the night before he flew in the night before and he, I walk into the hotel room He's there reading the paper, and as soon as I walk in, he walks out. And then the next morning, he's there to walk me down the aisle, and then he doesn't stay for the reception. He says he has to go to work. Now, that, for me, was very painful. Some of you may think, whoa, he could be listening to this podcast. He already knows how I feel. He, already, he may not know how deeply that hurt me because at the time, I was still keeping a lot inside, and I wanted to focus. But I remember feeling like, well, you know, this this looks about right. But that loss, again, would come later because, you know, we had, we've, after the years after that, we would have like some extreme arguments where I finally just let it all out and I finally was able to just deal with it. Talking about it right now, I can't tell you that it doesn't hurt even when I talk about it. I usually don't think about it. But when I am faced with it and I have to think about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that wasn't mm-hmm. that wasn't pleasant. And then and, and the thing about it is anybody who um, finds out about that day or was there and they ask me about it, it's a, it's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you know, if you have the capability of not doing that to your child, please, people <laughs> think about them first. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because they live with that pain. And now 
I have a sister who, because, you know, he had a child with his, you know, his wife, my stepmother. So I have a sister and I'm not, I don't like to compare because it's now many years later because we have like a 20 year difference between us, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, because my dad, of course, had me as a teenager. Um, And when she gets married, I know it's going to be a total 180 than Mm -hmm. what, what happened with me. And I can't help but feel like this a sense of loss. And I have to like observe what could have been when I watch right. him with my sister. Yeah. And, and every milestone, um, you know, just watching him be there for her. Um, you're happy for your sister um, that she's able to have that. But yet at the same time, you relive the loss of the fact that every single step of the way, there was always an explanation as to why you did not need to have that but you know but you see that he has a capacity to to love and to do that but it just wasn't with you and that, and that's tough and and i think but that but i would you want to say something before you move on one two things i want to say one i definitely would not wish that on her or anybody else right you know i am happy that she does have him in her life that's a total i mean he he's in her life in every sense of the way as a father which is awesome which is awesome i i'm very happy for that the second thing i want to say though to be fair my mother wasn't there either right <laughs> you right, know right at that time i don't even know if i knew did i know where my mother was yeah i did uh, yeah but, but she, she didn't, didn't come she didn't she didn't she, come she didn't come and so. the thing and the thing about it is and one of the things and that in in Rita processing this because this is something that we've had com- several conversations over um, and that's that's a part that's a whole part of this whole process processing phase because the point that the first point that we got is that you need to process your pain and one of the conversations that really shook me and shocked me was just a few weeks ago uh, we were talking and Rita sh- shared with me that and I asked her the question I said has your parents ever like met back up together and talked at all and since you were since you were born and she said i can only think of one time that i've ever seen my parents in the same room together and per, and perhaps have talked and that was at my graduation and then that's it i've never seen them together and i've never heard them talk to one another and they just they just exist in two different worlds and i just I just couldn't fathom that, that, that you could have parents and they just never, ever, ever talk or meet or try to come together at least to dialogue on your behalf as you're growing up to make certain decisions on your behalf or anything like that. And that's just, wow. And yeah, because the thing is, we, of course, just to kind of reiterate or recap, I mean, for people who have not heard our podcast before, I was the product of two teenagers who happened to be, I don't even think they were boyfriend and girlfriend, to be honest. (laughs) They weren't a one night stand either, but I don't think there was any commitment and I was the product of it. So this isn't a situation where I'm the product of a divorce and then there's co-parenting. No, this is, whoa, we made a big mistake. And, you know, I have come to terms with that. And, you know, for those who are listening, we're only talking about it because we're talking about processing loss. And, Maybe they were in another room at some point when I was younger, but, but my you my recollection is only right. at that point. And um, it's it's it is a weird feeling, but for for me, it's actually very normal. <laughs> right, but it's amazing because I'll tell you, and I am not just saying this; I mean it with all my heart. Rita is an amazing mother, and I believe that she has become an amazing mother because she's learned to process. And so when you're building happy homes and you're building financial empires, you know, it it affects your money and it affects your home when you do not process. Um, Indicators in your life, like your emotions, anger, depression, sadness, all of these things, we're not to try to drink them away, eat them away, dance them away, ignore them or even work them away. They're like indicators in a car, almost like a light. If an engine light comes on, you need to fix it. Our emotions are not there. They're not optional. They're not there. So you just screw out the bulb and somehow the problem goes away. If you screw out the the light for the engine bulb, the engine problem does not go away. The thing about it is that you have to understand 
that the loss can linger. You just cope better. Because right now, one of the reasons why I'm so free to talk is because I am 100 or 99.9% sure that neither of my parents even listen to this podcast you know because they just they don't they don't have that kind of love for me and that's okay because i have coped and i have had uh, my grandparents who love me so much you know it's yeah it's, 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 it's as if you know like they had me and um and it's just funny because you listen to the difference because my Murthal's mother she makes sure she listens She'll be like, oh, that was a great word. Or, and, you know, like that's normal stuff. Like if my children had a podcast, I'd make sure oh, that be listening I, to I need to listen. I want to hear them, you know, even if it wasn't daily, I'd make sure I like I store them up and every few days listen to a couple. Right. So it's such a different feeling and that loss lingers. And so it's a daily processing and a daily coping mm-hmm. with certain losses. There is a there is a passage of scripture and the saying that says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And so when this particular lady that we were sharing her story, when she had to deal with this time of weeping, the saying says that joy comes in the morning. Almost as to say that, you know, after you get some sleep, it's just going to magically just go away. And by the morning, you're going to feel better. And there is a degree to that, that time does heal some wounds and that it will automatically certain things are automatic. But there's some things that are intentional. And so I'd like I like to look at it that joy doesn't come only just in the morning as the time passes by and that time heals all wounds. But I'd like to believe that joy comes in the M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, mourning, the process of mourning, the process of grieving. Weeping may enjoy endure for a night, but joy comes in the process of you mourning, crying out. This lady cried out for help. And when we cry out for help and when we go through the process of mourning, we can move through the stages of grief, our denial, our anger, our bargaining, our depression. But eventually we get to the place of acceptance. And so it is not easy for us to talk about our losses and our pain, just like Rita expressed. But because we talk about it, because we go through the process of mourning, because we process our pain, we are able to move on. And that's that's part of the the whole joy of the happiness in our home and the fact that we were able to step forward and begin to to grow as a company and you will not be able to do that. So let's move on to our next step. The next point that we learned from this story is you need to evaluate your resources. Point number two, evaluate your resources. So what happened after this lady spoke to his employers and said, you know, my husband is dead and the creditors are coming. Is there any way that you guys can help me? And then um, her, the employer, um, which is a man named Elisha, he said, you know, what can I do to help? Tell me, what do you have in your house? That's what he asked her. He asked her, what do you have in your house? And she said to him, nothing at all, <clears throat> nothing at all. And then she said, except for a flask of oil. And then he said, Borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors because he wanted to do something with that flask of oil. And what she was going to need was she was going to need empty jars from her neighbors. But what I find really interesting is, is that when he asked her what she had, her first response was nothing. (laughs) nothing at all it's almost like she was devaluing what she actually had and how many of us do that we get in such a depressive state or we get in such a uh, woe is me state we get into such a state of lost focusing on our loss that we don't realize that we have a lot more living to do my mom was telling me when when my father passed away and he was also a minister and no this is not a story about my mom (laughs) Mm -hmm. but but when her husband passed away there was another uh, pastor's wife who also had passed away at this around the same time and they they were not not colleagues they were not even in the same region or district but she was telling me the story and she was telling me a story about how this woman was coping with it and she was just basically in such grief she just basically gave up she just gave up and she she's no longer with us today because she gave up on life to the point where her health just went down and she eventually passed away with her husband. And she said, I don't want to live without my husband. And so she basically gave up. The difference between her and my mom is, is that my mom 
took it as an opportunity to to continue to live. I still have grandchildren. I still have my son and my daughter. I still have my my own influence in ministry. And there was so much to live for, but you have to be able to look within yourself. And when the hardest times hit, can you still see what you have to offer? Can you still see your resources? What type of person are you? Um, are you the glass half empty or are you the glass half full type of person, you know? I think it can depend on the day. <laughs> you know, some days I'm a half full, some days I'm a half empty. And it's on, on the days that I'm half empty, it's pretty ridiculous. Half empty, I'm in my dream house. All my children are healthy. My husband's, <laughs> you know, healthy. Um, I've got family who loves me, friends who love me. I've got money in the bank and I'm half empty that day. I, I don't know. I want to like, you know slap myself like what are you talking about right right but it's almost like you have this narrow focus on what you're at that moment feeling like you don't have you know and as an entrepreneur especially oh, you can definitely have a lot of half empty days because one minute you're riding high yeah, woo, yeah woo look at this everything is working and then the next minute you're just like oh my everything's gonna fall apart oh boy what did i do and it's just like it's a common i think thought roller coaster that so many entrepreneurs go through but it's a challenge you have to like discipline yourself to say okay no no no, no. i'm still half full in fact i'm all the way full and i'm just i'm, I'm so full i'm overflowing yeah, you got to look, you, you really have to look at what you have because um, I, I remember you were reading some article or something that, uh, from a, an entrepreneur book or something that was talking about the importance of looking at your strengths and not your weaknesses and focusing on your strengths and letting your strengths. Oh, what was I reading? Um, it, was it the four hour week that we I just think, went through? Yeah, I think it was a four hour work week. Yeah, we yeah. did that in our last podcast. But. Yeah, he was saying focus on your strengths not your weaknesses because he says that is your abilities those are your natural abilities and those are the things that make you special unique and give you an edge over someone else let let your weaknesses just you know let them kind of be focus on what's actually working and i can understand that because like even with my husband and i my weaknesses are turns out a lot to be his strengths mm -hmm. and vice versa so why am I going to focus now on those things when we're a partnership? Exactly. That way it doesn't all have to be on my shoulders so, or your shoulders. So we don't really get caught up with the traditional roles. I generally do the cooking because I like to cook. Right. And so and she she kills it when it comes to making money and, you know, opening up new entrepreneurial stuff. And I'm a very hard worker. So, you know, I take a good lead. Once I mean, I take her lead once she comes up with these concepts and these ideas. I'm a hard worker and I'll be like, all right, let's go. And, you know, I'll just get going on the areas that I have my strengths in. Right. And we all pull together. So I, I, I tend to be very creative. So if we have to do a skit, I'm generally the one that's writing the skit myself and my daughter. Shalom. She writes the kids ones. I write the family ones. And, you know, I'm an idea person, though. Oh, definitely. Because I'll give good ideas for skits and then I'll let them do the 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 list i mean right. like the the actual like lines but also like when it comes to business and stuff i'll like okay you know what i'll do the one i'll take that 11 hour course on udemy right. I will, <laughs> and do the I research will do all that research and then i'll be like okay everyone this is what we need to do and then everyone like i said start delegating and then right. it all comes together so, so we definitely work well together. we definitely work well together and we have found our niche and we have found and we had to it's interesting but we had to go through some growing pains in that because i went from a career where i led the church i was the head i was the pastor and the model was you know um servant leadership but definitely and team working as a team but i always function in a capacity of being the head and so we had to go through some growing pains even as we were transitioning because Rita takes a strong lead in a lot of our entrepreneurial stuff because I don't understand a lot of these things. And so she takes a strong lead. And so it was an opportunity for me to have to process this transition. How do I how do I function? How do I still I, there was a sense of loss 
of not feeling as competent to lead in an area that I always have as far as making money is concerned, as far as, you know, doing that kind of stuff. And so we had a lot of conversations and I and I struggled with that. You I know, know. So there were some conversations where I was like, fine, go ahead. You take this lead, then I'll follow you. And you would always go, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm wanting. <laughs> I know I'm not saying that. I don't that. want the lead. <laughs> I just I just need to know what can I lead in? Like what what can I, you know, and it was difficult because everything bleeds in when you're when you're creating an entrepreneur, um, um, you know, a business. Everything kind of bleeds in because, you know, you have to work and so our schedules and family and everything. And so I was just kind of looking for my place. And I think that we went through some serious growing pains, but part of shifting and transitioning and dealing with loss and dealing with changes is the ability to work together. Well, did you find your your strength? Did you find it? I think that I have. I think that I've, I've become a lot more comfortable with the role that I play in the home and Rita's very affirming uh, with me and with my strengths and with my giftedness. And so it's very important that you don't get caught up in, in a traditional way of thinking or when changes and transitions come in your life. It's very important to fight the urge to say, I have nothing at all to offer. I have nothing because you are fighting change or you are fighting this transition. Um, seek for ways in which what you do have to offer and encourage one another in your relationship, whether it's in a partnership, marriage, whether it's in the family, um, find ways to encourage. Um, we have children. We have four children. They all have different skill sets and they all have different uh, strengths. One child could look at the other child and be like, wow, they do so much or they, they are familiar with this and they excel at this. And we spend a lot of time encouraging our children also. That, listen, you may not be able to do A, B, and C, but you do D very well. And we could not do without D in this family. And so this is kind of like we're learning the importance of not just encouraging yourself, looking and, and, and validating your own resources, but making sure that we're validating each other. And so in this story, we resonated with how the employer asked her the question, And when she responded and said nothing at all, we resonated with our tendencies to look at ourselves and say, I have nothing to offer. But then with but but then with that moment of pause and silence, she replied, actually, I do. I do. I have some jars. And he was able to now give her direction as to what to do. So it's very important that you do not look at the jar half empty and that it's important that you're looking at it half full. But we have actually. We've actually discovered that there is something better than optimism. There's actually something better than looking at the glass half full. A lot of people think that, that is the, the epitome. That is the end all and be all optimism. But we've discovered something better. And we're about to take you through that door, that secret door in our home. We're about to take you behind it because what we have found that is better than optimism is something called hope our faith. See, because if you take away positive results from an optimist, that that tests the optimist. But if you take away their hope, optimism dies. It dies. I mean, you could test optimism by trials and tribulations and hardship, but if you take away hope, if you take away hope, it actually dies and it turns to pessimism. And a lot of optimists have actually turned to to being pessimists. But what's the difference? The difference between? Optimism and hope. I think that hope is that ingredient that optimism needs. Optimism is um, is something that could exist without hope if it hinges on results. Okay, so optimism hinges on results. Like when you just say, oh, everything's going to work out. Right. And you keep on looking for the positive results. Keep on looking for it to work out. To work out. So it's really contingent on the results. some type of results. Positive it doesn't have results. to be positive results and it doesn't have to be consistent as long as you think that overall it is. But if you lose hope, hope is the ingredient in optimism that is essential. And if you lose hope now, 
But see, then now what makes hope different? See, I see, know it's... Hope, and see, here's why I'm saying what hope. Because there are pessimists that can have hope. There are pessimists that can have hope interjected into the situation. But they will reject that hope. They will reject it. And they will choose, even if they see the results, they will choose to live hopeless. Okay, so... Optimism and pessimism is basically operating without hope. Operating without hope. Or faith. Well, well, no. Optimism operates with hope. It can have hope. But once it loses its hope, it ceases to be optimistic. But I thought you said optimism was someone who operates without hope. Not necessarily. They can have hope. The hope is coming from results. Okay. So as positive results come in, mm-hmm. they, they gain hope. hope. But, but once, when, once the once results, the go results down, start going down right. and consistently go down, they can lose their hope. But hope, but a person that hinges their, their life on faith and hope, even if, even if results consistently go down, they, and they hold on to their hope, hope enough itself that that does not see the results but just have the hope that the that everything will work out in the end that is a a critical secret ingredient hope faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen so even if you do not see something even if you do not see the way out even if you cannot see it but you have hope that there is a way out but then You're that's able looking to get for, through. That's looking for positive results again. Not necessarily looking for positive results because even if a negative thing happens. So, for example, um, for example, um, my my mother wrote one book called um, the Good in My Afflictions. The Good in My Afflictions, and she's writing a second book on letting go and letting God. The Good in My Afflictions was chronicling her life and a string of incidences that were really really difficult and really really hard that she had to go through um, my brother he committed suicide and he he struggled with mental illness he had committed suicide at the age of 27 my dad um, took it really really hard um, and in that same year he came down with cancer um, and he battled cancer for 10 years and then he passed away these are were really really challenging things that she had to face and she wrote this book in response to it, saying the good in my affliction. She was able to take a tough situation and to be able to do that. So you're thinking, well, you know, where is the where is the positive in that? She lost her son and then she turned around and lost her husband. And the relationship that she was building with God was a relationship on hope. Not that my dad would get better, but that even if my dad passed away, she still was able to see the hope. Now, of course. That hope is in a positive result in the end that she will see my dad again in heaven. And that's a belief system. But she has not yet seen that. So that is so if you're looking at it from that optimistic, too, then. Well, it's certainly optimism, but optimism, optimism, an optimist, if we were to define just optimists, an optimist runs the risk of losing optimism and turning over into pessimism when enough negative things. uh, uh, Pessimists could have been just somebody that was optimistic that that lost their hope. And the moment that you lose hope, hope is that main ingredient because the moment you lose hope, now you are, optimism dies. Um, But a person that is faithful, that is hopeful, that hope is the thing that's carrying them. So here's the thing. Now, next thing you know, um, my mom is writing another book. It's called Let Go and Let God. It's about the same thing. The only difference is, is now my sister dies at 44 with cancer. Suddenly, didn't know that she had cancer and dies. And what is she writing about? She's still writing about the hope, the hope that she has. So there's this, this is not like something good is now happening that is replacing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no right. good. She's right. still holding on by hope, which allows her to exist with a greater sense of happiness. So so what is what is optimism? Maybe I'm defining it in, a, in this particular way, but I'm defining it as des- a person who is desiring, who is staying positive because they are 
they're looking for the results right now that things are going to work out in this particular situation. But the example of my mom was that even when things did not work out, even when her husband did die, even when her daughter did pass away, she is still holding on to this thing called hope and faith. Faith in someone that even if things go the way that you didn't want it to go, you're still going to hold on that things will work out eventually in the end. Like all things work together for good in the end to them that love the Lord. So that things keep going down. They keep going down. But that going down, that going down factors into how everything needs to work out. And you're just coming to a place of acceptance, accepting See, the good and accepting the bad. That's the word I was about to use. Acceptance. I was about to use um, acceptance, um, content. Right. you know with the situation content doesn't necessarily mean you're happy about the situation but that you've accepted it right you know it's almost like going back to what you were saying in the beginning you have some really challenging times where you're looking at your parents example and it's not like things are necessarily changing with the way that they relate to you but you're still moving on and you are still dominating in your world your family is happy you're learning how to be a mother and change, changing patterns, generational patterns. And you're doing that not based on them changing, not based on those results, but it's based on something deeper within you. Right. My contentment, my hope, my acceptance, all those things wrap around the premise of number one, that in the end, of course, things will work out, but working out doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, I'm going to one day have my parents. Right. No, it means that I'm going to still be okay regardless. That um, nothing happens just by chance. That there are things that have happened in my belief system that everything that happened in my life was meant for me. And even though there's a lot of pain in this world and a lot of times people can't understand every day i read articles and i see things that happen are happening to people and i'm like oh my goodness how and why is this happening right but in those same pockets of strife and starvation even or whatever horrible thing it is you will find people who are there who are hopeful exactly you will find people there who are pessimistic you'll find everything and so what what differs from that person who is they're both starving why is one hopeful and one not it's it's a it's a it's another characteristic that hope is made of exactly it's not that he's content meaning he's happy it's just that he knows that he's accepted and he's just allowing himself to be able to cope with the situation by by allowing himself to get on this level of you know what no matter what happens I am okay. Right, right, exactly. And so it's not to say that optimism is bad. We're not throwing optimism out the, the door. We're just saying the best thing about optimism, if there if there is an ideal form of optimism, it is the hope in optimism, not the positive results that help to push an optimist along, but it's the hope because that hope transcends any results that take place. So it's almost like if you had a glass, if you had a glass, rather than saying, well, how do you feel about that glass? Oh, well, I'm a pessimist. I think that the glass is half empty. And then the other person says, well, I'm a I'm an optimist. I think that the glass is half full. The difference between the pessimist, the optimist, and a person who's being faithful is, is that the person who is being faithful is not even looking at the glass at all. They're not even looking at how much water is in their glass because if their glass is empty or if their glass is full, their focus is not on the glass, it's on the source of what's going in the glass. So it would be, um, they would be focusing on the faucet. They won't even be focusing on the glass. Or better yet, they'll be focusing on the ocean. They won't be <laughs> focusing on their, on their glass. That's the difference between the optimist, the pessimist, and the one who is focusing on their faith. The faithful is saying, I'm gonna look at the faucet because the faucet is endless. So it doesn't matter what's in my glass. If it, my and that faucet represents God. That faucet represents that ocean represents God. He has endless supplies. And so when you focus on God and you have that relationship with the one that has endless supplies, you stop looking at what's in your glass. It, 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 it really doesn't matter because when the time is right, if it's empty, it can be filled in one moment. 
But you know, the, the next question really is, what is this glass being really filled with? I have seen people who are billionaires have a half empty attitude. <laughs> right. Who are pessimistic. And That's then right. I've seen the person who only has the shirt on their back have a glass full. So what is this this Th that's substance right. that's going into this cup? And that's what I'm saying. The person who is faithful removes themselves from looking at anything that their need. Their need is connected to their connection with. Because I'm saying the that divine. the 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 water that everyone talks about is it's not things. It can't be things. Right. It can't be money. Right. It can't be just the, these these shallow things that we definitely need in society. Right. So let's let's give let me give you an example. So just like you're talking, you're saying, well, it, what is the substance that's in the glass? So one person will say, well, that's money and it's a water. And when I get all the water and it fills up, then I'll be happy. But the person that is faithful, they have an empty glass. And the person that is focused on the water, which is equivalent to money, let's just say, they'll be like, but but your glass is empty. And that person will say, no, it's not. It's filled. And they'll be like, wait, but you have no water. They'll say, but I have oxygen in it. Right. <laughs> you right. know, yeah. it, it doesn't matter it could, because you're thinking about one thing and you're so, so focused on material when that person is on a completely different level. And when you tap in to the fact that you have a divine creator who loves you and who created you and created you for a purpose, you stop looking at the glass. You stop looking at what you have. You stop looking at materialism and you begin to tap into what does he think about you? What relationship do you have with him? And all your needs are met with, despite what you actually have. Yeah, I mean, I'll probably talk about it in another podcast, but I have I have chronic lower back pain um, from an injury when I was working as a nurse. I might have mentioned it before. And on my worst days, on my worst days, I sometimes have to just tell myself, you know what, in the end, it's going to be okay. Whether or not this gets better or not, it's all okay. Because I'm still here. I have my family. I even, I'm grateful to have pain. There are some people who are paralyzed and cannot feel pain. I have to look at all the positive things that are happening and understand that, you know, this was, this happened to me can't go back in time and fix it but i i can now live with it that's right so so let's get back to the story now so her husband dies creditors are coming after her threatening to lose it all she goes to his employer the employer asks her do you need help she says yes i need help he tells her what do you have she says nothing then she says well actually she second thinks it and she says oh I have a flask of oil. He tells her to go and borrow as many jars as you can from your friends and your neighbors. And so um, then the way the story goes, it says then she goes out of her house with her sons and she get, goes and gets all the jars that she can get. And then he tells her that after you collect all the jars then you need to go back into your house and shut the door behind you. Pour the olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each aside when it is filled. And then she says, and then he tells her, and then when, and, and then she said, it says, so she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her and she filled one after another. So here's the incredible thing. She has this small flask and she goes and gets these jars and she's told to go in the room and shut the door behind her. And when she gets behind that door, that secret door, that special room, she she begins to follow the directions from the man of God. And in that faithful decision, as she's holding on to her hope, as she is working through her faith, as she is demonstrating her, her belief that there is one who loves her and who has all resources, who is the ocean, who is the faucet, who has the capacity to pour out anything that she needs from her place of supposed emptiness. This is what takes place behind that closed door. And so when we read this and we saw that from a small flask that she almost said was nothing at all, 
Here comes this opportunity that she has. An incredible miracle takes place behind this door. And she begins to pour oil and it doesn't stop flowing. It miraculously flows. There is an element to our success that we have to acknowledge and we have to testify about. Because there are some things that took place when we decided to step out in faith. When we were coming from a place of challenge, need, loss. And we stepped out in faith and we followed the direction from God. We went into a time period of praying and fasting. And this whole shut door idea um, has been not only emphasized in this story that is found in the Old Testament, but it was also emphasized in the New Testament when Jesus Christ came. And he says that if there's any need that you have, he says, ask your heavenly father. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, but go into the room and shut the door in the privacy of your relationship between you and God. You ask him and he will grant it to you. And so we took him at his word. We believe that we serve a creator who loves us. We believe that we serve a creator who sees all things and sees all our needs. And so we decided not to look at the glass, but to look at the faucet. And we went into a season of prayer. And when we got out of that season of prayer, Something took place in when we were launching our business, when we were stepping out in faith, when we were burning our bridges and walked away from that old life into the life of entrepreneurship. Something took place. God was calling us. We responded to the call and something took place that was incredible. The business that we were doing blew up almost overnight. And it's kind of unheard of that that happens. It does not happen often at all. And we have... We've tried to help so many people get to where we are and they have not been able to do that. And we trust and believe that so many different things that we put our hands to, it does come to an element of it's for us. Not to say that it can't, you know, it, it may not happen for other people just because it's not for them and they have their own blessing and their own thing that's for them. But for us, it was for us. It was the right time. And when we stopped, paused and listened to God, and follow his direction and we shut that door and we went into some intimate time with him it was incredible to see what he did and for this particular lady she saw this great miracle take place right in front of her eyes it's almost like it's unbelievable and i i, I challenge people to to put your faith out there and grab a hold of the promises that god gives trust that he loves you. Trust that he has a plan for your life. Trust that you have a purpose. And even if you just shut your door, even if it's just you yourself, and in that intimate moment, in your desperation, whether it's a loss that you have and you cry out to him, he will give you direction. And we believe that you will be able to experience the secret to the success that we have had and which is it's God. Yeah. I remember when we said we were going to shut our door, one of the ways that we decided to do that was we were not going to tell anybody, not our family, not our friends. We were just going to do it. Not because we were embarrassed of what we were doing or we didn't think they would support us. I don't know if they would have supported us, but that wasn't really the intention. The intention was to just really focus without having a lot of input, positive or negative, and just focus on what we were doing. And, you know, it was a fig, it, it was like, it's a figure of speech when we say, you know, we went in the closet and shut the door. It's a, it was just a, a way of just being there, shutting out the, the noise, the noise, positive yeah. or negative. We, I came off of Facebook, we I came off of social media in a personal way, using it for business, but in a personal way, I, I just shut out, you know, every, any, every noise, every distraction and just allowed myself to be used. That way you can't. That way you will have less of a chance to be influenced negatively. You know, sometimes even the positive influence starts to get too much because now you feel like you have to live up to it. This way we could either succeed or fail or have our ups and our downs without feeling pressure to succeed or without feeling like, oh no, I don't want this person to know that this was, this didn't work out. And it took a lot for us to now come out and start sharing we're used to now having ourselves out there but at the same time it's easier sometimes having yourself out there more with strangers versus people who know you love you and have known your past or known what you used to do and it took a whole lot of people getting used to it like when like when we started to tell our family everyone was like 
what you're doing wait so when do you work as a nurse i don't work as a nurse anymore but well, you still have your license though and i told them no i no longer um have my license actually they were just like they were like what what, what like speechless right. stuttering speechless they didn't know what to say but what we did do is we reached out to some of our closest friends and we reached out to pretty much anyone anyone that reached out to us one of the things that we did was we were willing and always tried to help others to be able to to find some way to do it themselves and and right now one of the reasons why we're coming out and we're allowing the world to know and i guess the rest of our friends that don't know um is because we are determined to help others and so that leads us to step number four the point number four that we get from this story is is use your financial freedom to benefit others and so the story ends like this Soon, every container was full to the brim, every single one of the jars that they had gotten from that small frask, from that miracle. And so when she turned to one of her sons and she said to them, bring me another jar, they said, mom, there's no more jars left. And then at that point in time, the oil stopped flowing. And when she told um, the employer, the man of God, what had happened, he said to her, now go sell the olive oil, pay your debt. You and your sons can live on what is left over. And so... What happened here is, is that she became an entrepreneur at that very moment. She sold her olive oil, paid all of her debts, and her and her sons were able to live on the leftover. And the reason why point number four is use your financial freedom to benefit others is because check out what ended up happening. Now, olive oil was something that was very expensive, and in certain regions, they didn't have access to it. And so it had to be shipped from abroad sometimes from places that that just had the certain tropical climate that was able to produce those things very well. And so olive oil and oil just just tend to be very expensive because, of course, the suppliers had to buy the oil, then they had to ship the oil, and then they had to make a profit because they had to purchase it from people. But what ended up happening with this lady? God creates entrepreneurs. God creates businesses. He is a secret to the success because she did not have to purchase any of the oil. She did not have to buy the product and then turn around and make a profit. She was given a miracle. She was, she was given a special gift, a special blessing, something divine and divine intervention came in. And so what she was able to do is she was able to cut the prices on oil in, 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 in half or even more so that she would be able to serve communities that were, that were not able to just generally afford oil. So here you, have, here you have her coming in and competing with some of the biggest, best oil companies because she could do so because she didn't have to purchase it. She already had it. So she comes in, she helps out her community by giving them low price oil she ends up selling more of the oil. That's how she gets her even bigger profit. And then she takes that profit and she's able to now purchase. And now her business is thriving and her business begins. And she becomes a competitive force that everybody's wondering, where did this person come from? Where did she, where did she get her supply? Why is her oil even better? Why is she able to go at such a low price? How is she undercutting us? And so here she becomes one of the dominant forces, an entrepreneur killing the game. And yet at the same time, giving back to her community so that the underprivileged would be able to afford it. So do you see how God works and he's doing, we want him to do the same thing in our lives. And so we saw this story as an inspiration. And the four points that we got from it is we process your pain. If you want to move forward, process your pain. You're not going to be able to move forward with all this baggage. You got to let go of some of that baggage. And the way to do that is to make sure that you're sharing it and that you're doing the proper morning. Number two, evaluate your resources. Don't just look at yourself and say, I have nothing at all. Look deep within and see your resources and see the support, the family support. You may be in a tough situation. It could be a divorce. It could be a loss of health, but there's always hope. And that's the third point. Hold on to your hope. Hold on to your hope. It's going to be okay. You are going to make it. You can push on. And the last thing is don't forget where you came from. Use your financial freedom to benefit others. God is doing a special work for you. 
He wants you to enter into that secret place. He wants you to enter into that intimate connection with him and understand who he is and what he's doing for your life. He has a purpose for your life. And so we want to encourage you and we hope that this has really blessed you. We hope that you um, are able to resonate with our story and we hope that you can duplicate that because we want we, we truly want the best from you and, and we're feeding into you right now and we're hoping that the best comes out of your story as well. All right. Thanks for listening. Join us again Monday through Friday. Show notes are found at theonyxlife.com where you can also submit questions through the Ask Us section. And you can join our Facebook, The Onyx Life. Follow us on Twitter at The Onyx Life and on Instagram at The Onyx Life Official. Now go live that Onyx Life where change comes with challenge. See you next time. Bye.